0: the reading of God's Word. I'm reading Psalm 23 from the King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for ever. May God add a blessing to his word. You may be seated.
1: Marilyn, was that Bible printed in 1611 as well? I love it. That's, well, I don't know as well as what. Um, it just, she read the, the King James Version, and the Bible looked like it was from 1611 too, because that's when the, year, the King James Bible came out in 1611. Anyways, random obscure Bible joke to start the, the sermon off. Um, good morning, it's good to be back with you uh, teaching, and um, I'm excited about where we're going today, but yet I feel the need to pray uh, before we get moving. Uh, today we're going to be covering a subject that, um, that the enemy does not want us to cover, that Satan does not want us to look at, and so we're going to be covering that. So let's pray. Jesus, as we search through your scriptures, God, as we find out what's on your heart and, and as we come closer and draw near to you, Lord, would you whisper and speak to us right where we're at today? Father, would you speak into our lives, speak into our hearts? God, would you give us the capacity for healing and forgiveness? So, Father, as we look at this, would you be with us today? In your name we pray. Amen. So as many of you know, we're on this series called I Am. And uh, what we're doing is we're looking at all the I Am statements of Jesus. And the first one, of course, I am the bread of life. And we looked at how Jesus is the manna. Jesus is this bread, our substance, our provider. And we looked at that. And then last week, Pastor Earl did an amazing job leading us through, um, I am the light of the world. And so we see Jesus as this guiding light. And I love the analogy that Pastor Earl used, that we ought to be um, like a lighthouse. We're not the light, but we are that beautiful mirror that reflects the light out to a world that desperately needs to see the light of Jesus. And today we're actually covering two I am statements. The two I am statements are I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And the reason why we're doing that is because they can't really be separated. They kind of go together um, in the context of what is being talked about. So today, there are really two challenges. One, the gospel can be kind of offensive. Our challenge is not to add or to take away from the offense, but just to let the gospel be the gospel. And two, um... The statements that Jesus has made can dig up some emotion. And so those are the two challenges today. But if you're with me, if you got your Bible, flip to Numbers chapter 27, starting in verse 15. If you're on the Bible app, there's, uh, we put the instructions in your bulletin. We had good feedback from you that, that you like that. And um, so that should work if you just follow those instructions on um, how to follow that. And you could email that to yourself at the end, and it'll save all those notes for you. So there's another way to do that. So Numbers chapter 27, starting at verse 15 through 23, we're going to kind of look at this idea of shepherding throughout the Bible. And what does it mean? And what does it mean for us today? Numbers 27, starting in verse 15. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord of the God of the spirits of all mankind appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua son of Nun, a man who whom is spirit or who whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and have the entire assembly commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eliezer, the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. All of this command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go in and out at his community. They will come, um, they will come in. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and he had him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed him through Moses. So God ordains Joshua as the shepherd of Israel, a man to lead people. And that's what God did here in this this passage. What Moses is doing, he's realizing he's getting on in years and that somebody needs to lead after he passes. And so one of the things they do is they do this laying on of hands. By the way, on our ordination services, um, this is what we do. We lay hands on people, we pray over them, and it's a symbolic transfer of authority and power that we give to them. The authority of God to lead. And there's certainly spiritual authority all through the scriptures. And so this is the little point in which we see, I mean, this little chunk of scripture actually has some pretty broad implications. But this is the point right now where we see that people are now called shepherds. But we also see that God is a shepherd of Israel. Now just a quick, kind of a a cool note in all of this, is that over the years, New and Old Testament scholars have looked at the relationship between Moses and Joshua. This is kind of a side note. It's not really uh, relevant to what we're studying today. It's just cool. Um, they've looked at Moses and Joshua, and they've looked at Jesus. And they said Moses represents Jesus' life and death. Joshua, leading his people into the promised land, represents the resurrection of Christ. And so these two kind of stand for Jesus. I mean, they, they foretell what Christ will do. And that's what some biblical scholars have said over the years. Um, Joshua, of course, in obviously in Aramaic is Yeshua. How many, all of you knew that, right? You know, you guys are probably studying that this morning. Um, as all good Christians do, they study Aramaic in the morning, especially Sundays. Totally kidding, especially if you're new with us. Don't, don't need to do that. Anyways, um, the name Joshua means, or Yeshua means Joshua. And so Jesus' Aramaic name was Joshua. It was translated as Joshua. And so, um, anyways, Moses and Joshua represent um, Jesus in the Old Testament. It's one of the things that, it's a theory, it's out there, some biblical scholars say. Anyways, over and over and over and over again, people die. And the shepherds of Israel die because they're human because we, our life all has an input on them. And slowly, they begin to transfer power over and over and over and over again. They transfer all this power to new shepherds. And some shepherds were good. Some shepherds were, were immensely great. They led people into good things. And some shepherds were not so good. They did bad things. I don't think we even need to make the case, but we will um, real quickly. Psalm 23, what Marilyn read, The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not be in want. The Lord is our shepherd. Psalm 80, Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Referencing that Joseph verse. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth. Isaiah 40, 11, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the flock in his arms. He leads gently. And so this is what we see. We see this kind of paradox. One, that God empowers people to be shepherds. Not to be God, but to point to God. To lead others to God. And that God is the shepherd of shepherds. And that God is the good shepherd. He's gentle. I shall not be in want. He leadeth me beside clean water, clear water. I mean, over and over and over again we get this great picture of God as, as shepherd. And there's many, many, many more verses to this point. I just put three of them out there. But can you see how God is shepherd throughout the scriptures? There's this calming effect that the good shepherd has. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. The sheep, when the shepherd calls out, the sheep go with that shepherd because they understand and know the voice. They know the specific sound of the of their shepherd. So God making this analogy, God is making this analogy of shepherding was a really common because shepherding was a common job in Palestine. In Palestine, this was uh, something that you would normally do. Some of us are uh, teachers. Some of us uh, um, work in different fields. Uh, shepherding would have been just an extremely common task, and so that's why one of the reasons why God uses this analogy because people see it, they understand what a good shepherd is like. By the way. Shepherds kind of also had a bad reputation, human shepherds. Um, Some shepherds were seen as highway robbers and thieves because they were always out on the road. They were always out moving around. and If they needed supplies, they might rob somebody or beat somebody with their staff. So some shepherds weren't so good. They kind of had this harsh reputation. Remember, David is a shepherd. He had to take down a bear. He took down Goliath. The guy might have been small, but the dude knew how to handle himself, right? All right, now flip with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. We're building this case about shepherds here. So, one, God is our good shepherd. God is the shepherd. But two, there's all these people that God allows to be shepherds and to lead and to guide flocks. And, and the book of Numbers says leading them in and leading them out. So coming in and out of the promised land. And, and so Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 6. Now, this is a prophecy which a lot of New Testament Scripture is based on. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with wool, and slaughter choice animals but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandering over the mountains on every high hill... They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one was searching for them. I find it very interesting that in Matthew 18, you don't need to flip there, but Jesus says this, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill so he can go look for the one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep and about the 99 that did not wander off. In that same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these should be lost. I love that. I mean, we look at Ezekiel 34, and we look at even, you know, the seven woes to the Pharisees. Woe to you because you bind your people up. Woe to you because you give them heavy burdens and heavy laws. And because you're the shepherds of Israel, people are listening to you and are actually having a more difficult time connecting with God because of you. And this is what God is saying to Ezekiel to tell the people, the shepherds of Israel. I mean, even when we look at ha- having bad shepherds, when we look at what that does, let me read Romans uh, chapter 2 real quick. And this is verse 19 through 24. If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light For those who are in the dark, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law and the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Ouch. Because of these religious people who are teaching things and simply not living up to their own teaching. God's name is blasphemed among the people. I mean, that's, that's a harsh, harsh indictment of these people, of the shepherds. Because of one bad shepherd, because of one selfish shepherd, an entire People group turn away from God. I mean, that's exactly what this is being said in Romans. And you know what? When this kind of thing happens, when there are bad shepherds in Israel, when there are bad shepherds among us, many of us have dealt with this before. Because there's, there's, sometimes like our church isn't necessarily effectively directed, but our community is affected by this. We get painted with the same brush, right? I mean, When I was, um, I think, six years old, my entire family stopped going to church. The reason why we stopped going to church is because we were young in our faith. We didn't really, I mean, I was going to Sunday school. I didn't really know. I just knew that you were supposed to go to Sunday school. And um, the pastor had an affair with his secretary. It took us years to trust the church again. There is larger fallout. There is community distrust. I mean, some of us who are mature, my family wasn't at all mature in faith. We were brand new to this. And so we had no idea, and we thought, if this is the way that pastors act, then we're out of here. Why even come? These are our examples, really? And so we bailed. Never, t- I mean, we, we probably would have never stepped in church again. And, and when we finally did, there was skepticism. There was questioning. I wanted to see their lives. I wanted to see that they actually did what they taught. And I was actually pretty pleasantly surprised to find people who were so genuine in their faith. But this type of thing hurts us, right? I mean, it hurts us on a deeper level. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're hurt by it. And then somebody says, hey, do you want to go to church? And we go, uh, I don't know. Or, or even um, there's a larger just this trust notion. I mean, somebody says, hey, how was your weekend? Good. What'd you do? I went To hang out with some people that I mean, we we kind of dodge the conversation, right? I mean, we kind of dodge the fact that, oh yeah, I went to church this week and connected with God. I mean, we tend to do that because we know that there's a community-wide distrust of authority because authority has been so abused over the years. I mean, we've seen in recent years the major scandal of children who were abused by priests. Another distrust in authority. What about the person who came to Christ while their pastor was um, preaching, and the next day they turn up in the paper for fraud? What about the guy who you just feel spiritually abused because somebody's thumping their Bible at you saying, if you don't believe this, you're going to hell? I mean, that is spiritual abuse. That is not at all the way Jesus handled himself. How did he teach? He told stories. A man had a son. The son said, forget you, and left. When the son came groveling back, he put his, the man put his arms around his son. This is how Jesus teaches. And so we get this fallout, really, of these, of these shepherds who are not so good. We get the fallout. Not only that, but we have a larger distrust in truth because as a church, we claim that Jesus is truth, right? And amen, I mean, I believe that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're actually going to do a whole big study on truth and and, and what that means when we hit that week. But if Jesus is the truth, but his people don't live up to what they teach, then is there really truth? Can we really trust what these people have to say? Can we really connect with these people? I mean, what about the crazies? Jim Jones, Fast suicides, the Branch Davidians. I mean, all of these folks claim to have an element of the truth, and yet we look at them and go, that's insane. And I think for some of us, Our witness gets so much diminished because of the bad shepherds. We get painted, like I said, with the same exact brush. And there's some of us here today who know exactly what this is like. There's some of us who might have stayed out of the church, like me. I mean, I I was hurt. I didn't even realize I was hurt. I just stayed out of the church. I stayed away from it. People were like, hey, we're going to a church camp. I thought, great. Do you want to go? Not at all. Sounds awful. What do you do? Sing songs? Kumbaya? Now, I know that at church camps, you actually try and take a shower and have like 10 high school boys throw massive piles of snow on you. And so obviously camp is fun. But <laughs> seriously, you have to wake up like if you go to Forest Home and there's snow on the ground and you're a leader, wake up earlier than everyone else and take your shower <laughs> because those locks can be picked. Okay. That's just my public uh, <laughs> the more you know. Okay. So for millions of people around the globe, truth now became relative. Any truth claim, whether it's that Jesus is truth or whether that it's Buddha is truth or whether that's Yahweh is truth or Jehovah or whatever, whatever truth claim is out there, those claims become suspect. We look at those and go, no, it's not. That's not the truth because people mishandle it because we as shepherds don't always make the right decision. Now, people say the church is full of hypocrites. Amen? I, that's exactly what we are, right? <laughs> Isn't that what the church should be filled with? Hypocrites? Right? Isn't that the exact place the hypocrites should go? To church and repent and, and stuff like that? Absolutely. By the way, I didn't mean to call you all hypocrites right now. I'm sure some of you aren't. But anyways, <laughs> leaders who live differently than they preach builds cultural tension. Distrust, and and just an element of get away from me. Because of this, two things happen. Um, um, Well, I'm sorry. This is another example. When I'm on an airplane, and somebody says, "What is it that you do for a living?" I do not immediately answer. I'm a pastor of a church. I say, "I do some teaching." Because I've learned that two things happen. One, um, one guy was on a flight back from, uh, like a five-hour flight. It was just a five-hour flight back to LAX. And um, the guy was talking about himself, using every expletive in the book. I mean, the guy had a vocabulary. This guy could just talk, you know. And he's talking about his life, and he, he lived kind of a fast life. And I knew, I wasn't judging him, you know, but I was just listening to him. And he asked me what I did, and I thought, well, this is awkward. I'm I'm a pastor. And immediately, well, I go to church. I pray. I um, I uh, I prayed yesterday. Oh, that's that's great. I find, and then another flight. I was on a three-hour flight back from Indiana one time, and I was talking with this woman. And she asked, "What do you do?" I said, oh, "I do some teaching, a little bit of theology." And she had no idea what that was, and so it was perfect. And she ended up telling me about her brother's death and how she was flying out for a funeral, and it ended up being this beautiful experience to minister to her and lead her. I mean, she didn't accept Jesus at this moment, but lead her to the holy, to a place where now she's going to go seek out God. Because of larger events that have happened because of mismanagement with funds because um, some pastors have affairs because um, people don't exactly practice what they preach there's been this wide cultural distrust and for me to say I do a little bit of teaching gets a far better audience for me to say oh I'm a pastor at the church because people either immediately shut down or they say oh cool I'm a Christian or something like that but typically it's the shutdown because I want a relationship with them. So flip with me now to the I am statements. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 10. And just to give you a little bit of context in all of this. One of the things that Pastor Will talked about was this man who was born blind. And this man was healed by Jesus. And then he went um, to the, the synagogues. And they wanted to know, who did this to you? How did you get healed? And the man said, I don't know. But all I know is that this guy put mud on my eyes and... And, and I was healed. I don't know. And then they find Jesus and have this interaction with the blind man and with Jesus, and Jesus kind of says to them, this blind guy can see better. Or when he was blind, he could see better than you. You were like blind guides. And so he's critiquing their, um, the ministry and the, the religious leaders of the time. And then he breaks into what? A story. Not Hellfire and Brimstorm, but a story. Brimstone? Brimstorm, I don't think is anything. Anyways, Jesus breaks into a story. He says this in, in John chapter 10. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gates but climbs in from some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls, uh, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all all um, his own, he goes on ahead of them because he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this as a figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So basically what was happening here is that Jesus had just said, you guys are like blind guides. This guy who was blind really can see because he has seen the Messiah. And you are like blind guides. Now let me tell you a story about being a blind guide. It's like sheep and shepherds. When you have this pen full of sheep and you enter in by the side, then then you're being sneaky and distrustful and you're coming in and, and the sheep will not trust you. But a true shepherd enters in by the gate because the sheep know the shepherd. And so what he was really doing here was saying, you guys claim to have all this authority, but you are absolutely false shepherds. In fact, he sets up this dichotomy by calling himself the good shepherd and by these shepherds who who are really thieves and robbers and come to destroy, they enter in through the side. But here's what Jesus continues to say. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, many of you, um, if you've ever been to any youth camp and you sleep in a tent, where do you sleep? And you're the leader. Where do you sleep? By the front of the door. Why do you sleep there? Yeah, because they got plans. <laughs> they got plans. And they know that if they open that thing real slow, that, that you can just sleep right through it. Um, and one of my favorite uh, times, I, I found out when kids were going to meet up with each other to, to hook up. And this commonly happens at youth camp. But luckily, there's some really good um, uh, team. And Matt has a great team. And we have some great people who go to these camps and who know we're like all hearing and all seeing. We're almost on mission. (laughs) Really, it's like we have parent power when we go to these camps with your kids. And so for whatever reason, kids like to meet up at the dumpsters to make out. I don't know why. I think it's disgusting. (laughs) Like there's bluffs. there's There's benches. There's other places. But they like to meet up there. And my, my favorite is to say, um, is, is to sometimes we have security patrol to make sure they don't go away. My favorite is to wait where they're going to meet up and just to have them both come out and meet us walk out of the shadows and go, hey, guys, what you doing? <laughs> uh, I was just going to the bathroom. Um, I was just, uh, anyways, slight tangent. <laughs> the good shepherd sleeps by the door. <laughs> That's my point. Any good youth leader knows you sleep by the door. You set up a tent, you sleep by the door. Because that makes it so they have to step over you and they need to do one of these in order to get out. And so what Jesus is saying is the good shepherd, the one who is the true shepherd, enters by the door. Doesn't break in the window. Doesn't doesn't come in from some other way subversively, but enters by the door. And Jesus says, I am the door. Now, the offensive part of the gospel and the challenge here is to believe that Jesus is the door to eternal life. We talked about this a little bit in our Sunday school class this morning. Sometimes our culture says, no, there's thousands of doors to all these different ways. But I think the challenge of reading Scripture for Scripture is to say, okay, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and we're going to look deeper into that, but Jesus makes this proclamation statement, I am the door, I am the gateway. And if you want to come to Jesus, this is what the door looks like, right there. It's a cross-shaped door. Jesus says, I am the door. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He who come, he will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So you remember when I said, this isn't super important, but Joshua represents the resurrection of Christ. I mean, it is kind of important because this whole um, wording that the shepherd will lead them in and out, in and out, is found in Numbers chapter 24 that we read at the very beginning. And, and, And Joshua's goal and job was to lead them in and out, in and out to the promised land, to greater things. And this is what Jesus does. He leads the sheep to greater pasture. He leads his people to himself, in and out. And he does it through the door. The next verse, verse 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, meaning the Gentiles, by the way. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So keep in mind the context of this. He's talking to people who don't at all get him. He's talking to people who are bad shepherds of Israel, people who enter in the pin by the side, people who, who, um, uh, who rob and steal. They were manipulating uh, the law for their own use. They tied up heavy loads on people without lifting a finger to lift them. And Jesus came and said, my burden is light and my yoke is easy to carry. They did everything for show. And Jesus did everything for his father they look good on the outside, but they're wicked and full of sin on the inside. Now, some of us have been led by those shepherds. And I think that if you're there, if that's you, if, if you say, yeah, that was me, maybe it was um, some form of spiritual abuse, or maybe it was just seeing all this in the news, and, and you saw the abuse of children, you saw the cover-up, you saw all that, and you just lost faith that there actually is a good shepherd. Maybe it's um, that you've had a personal experience. Somebody's lied to you, somebody's deceived you, something like that. Um, Maybe you're there and you've had this experience. I think the number one challenge with this is to forgive these bad shepherds. I don't think that if we, I, I think that if we allow this to harbor and allow this to grow, this resentment, then I think we can never move forward walking with the real good shepherd. I think there's always something kind of pulling us back. So I think the challenge today is simply to forgive. And really, I know forgiving can be difficult. But what I want to do is this. We're going to play a couple more songs. And I want to invite you, if you have been just wrecked by some bad shepherds in your life, I want to invite you to stand. And we're a community of love. And I want to invite people who are next to you to pray for you. I mean, really, I'm the first one standing. My level of distrust with the church was so huge that I couldn't even step into a door. But if that's you, I mean, I'd like to invite you to pray for healing. I'd like to invite you to say, I forgive these people. Maybe you even need to verbally proclaim it. Maybe you just need to say, I forgive. I forgive them. I'll no longer have those bad shepherds holding me captive in prison any longer. Because I feel like when you do that, you could actually learn to walk with the good shepherd. So right now we're going to pray. And if that's you at all, I'd like to invite you to stand. I'd like to invite you to receive prayer from somebody next to you. I know that that can be awkward and a little bit different. But I simply want to invite you to receive that prayer. So let's pray. Father, I just pray for those who have been at the mercy of the bad shepherds. Father, I pray for those who have been led astray. I pray for those who harbor massive distrust. I pray for those who look at a Bible and just have disgust in their mouth because of what it meant to them. As God, I pray that they would receive you as the good shepherd and that there would be ultimate forgiveness and healing in this today. God, that we would see you for who you are, the good shepherd, the one who wants to walk with us, the one who wants to lead us, the one who enters by the gate, the one who leads us to better things. Father, we just pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, the good shepherd. Amen.